The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Joel, <laughs> I'm sorry. As soon as I heard the word parlay, I I had to go full full Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> so the podcast Whoa. is really just my whim for making myself giggle. So I hope you all enjoyed that, listeners <laughs> and Joel. <laughs> all ten of you out there, hello and welcome to another episode of the Other Wrestling Show. My name is Joel, and you already heard from Mike and Paulus. Uh, on this heavy work rate episode of Dynamite, we're going to do an all lightning round edition of the other wrestling show. So uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Lightning round. So Mike, yeah. I assume the first thing you want to talk about is uh, the Cage. inner circle Oh. Uh, calling for a parlay. <laughs> no, no, not really. I thought the parlay was. <laughs> what What are they gonna do? Like, it, it's just gonna show up in the like. It's a contract signing or it's a town hall, whatever. Parlay, okay. Um, I, Joel, th- I'm really struggling here with this inner circle pinnacle story. I, tonight was really interesting because the the promos were just totally different. And when I say totally different, I mean one being good and one being bad. So like I, I really loved MJF's uh, um, promo here, basically talking about like, what was the line? Uh, I'm not a Mark, but I'm gonna have a Mark for your spot. No, I or, am a Mark. I am I'm a Mark. Not, there it is. I'm a Mark for your spot. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was a really good line. And I love them poking fun at Jericho's like flubbing of his, remarks about Wardlow um, Mm -hmm. last week. So I thought that was a really good promo. We don't need to hear all of the pinnacle talk talk because we know who the talker is in that group. It's MJF. And when MJF isn't talking, it should be, you know, Tully. So great stuff. I thought it was really good, but God, that Jericho inner circle promo, you know, it's bad when I'm like, give me more Hager. (laughs) Like I, I I just, it felt like Jericho's out of material as it pertains to the inner circle. And it just, it it seemed like a nerdy middle schooler trying to insult the cool kids. Yeah. And it it just didn't come off very well. Like it was so awkward. I thought whatever, I, I thought Santana's stuff was really, really good. Um, he should talk way more. I thought Hager, you're be drinking your meat through a straw was awkward, but still funny. Uh, everything with Jericho and, and when he was like singing and made a show tune, like Jericho, you're supposed to be a rock star. And he clearly didn't think that out in advance. Or if he did, he thought that as the person we're supposed to be cheering for that, not coming up with a rhyme was going to be endearing. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. It just, 
it didn't hit for me at all. And this, the, the placement of it too made it worse. This is what was on at the crucial crossover from the eight o'clock to the nine o'clock hour. Oh yeah. Nine o'clock. And like, what? I I can't imagine that someone would flip their TV to that. Listen to more than 30 seconds of that and be like, yes, this is something that I want to watch more of. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was, I, I think one of the worst segments on dynamite in a long time. Joel, I'm going to one up you there. It was the worst segment on Dynamite ever. Like, and like, because I really can't think of moments that made me like just want to turn the television off. Like, to go from the highs of that promo last week or whenever that was, two weeks ago, which is one of the best of Chris Jericho's career, to this, oh, it was pathetic. It was pathetic. It, and like, I kind of don't even want to talk about it anymore because I'm just going to say main mean things about Chris Jericho. <laughs> well, good news. It's lightning round. So we don't need to talk about it anymore. We can talk <laughs> about other stuff. Um, yeah, man, let's, let's move on. <laughs> so it's, it's a rule on this podcast that if Adam page has a match, I have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what a match that he had. Uh, uh, he almost killed Ricky Starks. Uh, we almost had a death in the ring Which time. <laughs> uh, I mean, when he dumped him on his head, <laughs> Like, thank goodness yeah. Ricky managed to get his feet down and roll through it because that was a scary, scary spot. And, you know, he just didn't quite rotate enough on the uh, backflip through a German suplex. But uh, scariest moment we've had on, on Dynamite in, in a little while. And uh, what a match, though. I uh, really enjoyed this one. And I like that it seems like Paige is going to be working his way through the members of team Taz, you know, we've, mm-hmm. we've got the announcement that he's going to be facing off with Brian cage next week. So this seems like a good way to keep him occupied for a while and keep him away from Kenny Omega. I think that's kind of the hardest thing to do here. Uh, and hopefully they can keep this going for a while. Yeah. It seems like they there. That is the plan for, all out is Kenny Omega, Hangman Page. So you can't, you can't touch it this early. But the problem is, is Page with this ranking system has put himself in position to be the number one contender. So it's it's a really delicate thing they have to do. And if if you're not putting Page in a significant storyline, I think it would it would fail. So the fact that you know Page is over this, you know hey, you know, I'm fucking around with Matt Hardy and doing comedy skit. You can still do the comedy stuff with the Dark Order, but to put him in a a what looks to be the beginning of a story with an actual heel group, someone that he can get heat with, put on great matches with, and not lose his momentum is, is great. And if the end result here is somehow Christian Cage and Hangman Page end up as a tag team for a little bit, could be one night to help deal with their Team Taz problem. Joel, I... I don't think we could do a podcast the next day because I think we would be so exhausted from being so, frankly, I'm going to say it, turned on in a wrestling way from that tag team. Your favorite wrestler, (laughs) my favorite wrestler, my God. (laughs) Did I make it awkward? Only a little bit. What else you got? Uh, Well, uh, 
it was a great night for work rate. I don't, I'm having trouble which match I want to talk about next, but you talked about your favorite wrestler. Joel, let me talk about my favorite wrestler, Christian Cage, getting the win over Powerhouse Hobbs. I like this match more than the Kazarian match. And I think Christian's rounding the form. He looked great here. And this is the this is why you have Christian Cage at age almost 50 in AEW because he is out the, out there. Rest, how old is how old is Powerhouse Hobbs? He's got to be in his early 20s, right? Mid-20s? Yeah, I think he's in his 20s. Yeah. I think he's young. older than we think he is. He he might be late 20s, yeah. but okay. he's uh he's still a pretty young guy. Either way, you know, a, a raw young Oh, he's 30. Jesus Christ. Okay. Um anywho, young in terms of the professional wrestling world to come into this match and be able to work with him get him over this was a fantastic showing from will hobbs and christian cage sold out for him the entire time it's 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 invaluable experience here for will hobbs to be able to work with a guy like christian and you know if if staying in his late 50s could do this he'd be doing the same thing but christian can work right now and this is, it's perfect. It's wonderful. I, I, I love having Christian Cage in this company. I think one of the things that Christian does as well or better than anyone else in pro wrestling is change speeds. And it, it just makes his quick movements look so fast. And he's... There's no wasted motion in anything that he does. There's nothing showy about the way that he executes moves. It's all in service of the match and the story that's being told in the ring. And I can't pick a favorite between these two matches that he's had so far in AEW. I think they're both great. And I think they're both object lessons for, you know, young pro wrestlers out there who want to learn how to become a great pro wrestler slow down and work like that make it count make it matter if you're going over in the match you sell like crazy because Mm -hmm. you want to make it look like the person you beat is worth a damn and coming out of this match will hobbs is better off having lost the match so you know that's you know, it, it, it's kind of a classic wrestling cliche, but that's what you want. You want the people who lose the match to actually come out looking better when they go up against someone the caliber of a Christian Cage. And it's awesome that he's mm-hmm. got that mentality and that uh, dedication. Because at this, he doesn't need to do favors for anybody at this stage in his career, but he's still making everybody look like a million bucks. Yeah, he also doesn't need to go out there taking the bumps that he's taking, and he's doing it. Like, Hobbs clubbed him early on in that match. I'm like, oh my God, you just knocked him back to 2010. He's going to (laughs) think Randy Orton's about to show up when Kazarian comes ringside. Like, it's it's, it's incredible. It's just a masterclass in, in selling and how to put on a match. So, yeah, this I think this was my favorite match of the night, which is saying something because, Joel, we had some two other pretty fantastic matches on this card. And I figured you'd want to talk about one of those next. Yeah. Uh, let's keep it with the work rate. And we'll talk about Ty Conti and Hikaru Shida who had a women's championship match. Um, I was a little bit bummed with the placement of this match. Yep. I would have much preferred this to be flipped with the inner circle segment uh, that went on after 
and no, let's have the women's the championship the defense be at the crossover as opposed to, you know, the Jericho. inner circle laying an egg. Um, but this was a great match and a, a really nice showcase for Ty Conti. We've seen her ascendance in recent weeks and or at this point, really over the course of months. And uh, this match has been long time coming. I think we could have gotten a little bit more of a build. It feels like we were building and and building and it seemed like there was a story coming together. And then all of a sudden the match happened. I think another couple of weeks would have benefited from a story perspective, but in terms of the in-ring, this was really good stuff. Very technical match, lots of fluid transitions between different holds and some great technique on display from both performers. Yeah, there were two spots in this match that really stood out for me. It was the sentin that Conti hit onto Sheeta's back when she was laid out on the top turnbuckle. That looked insane. And then a few minutes later, Sheeta with that like backbreaker. I they they named it something. I just didn't I couldn't hear it or I missed it. But the backbreaker on the turnbuckle itself, I thought I yeah. thought Conti died because she well, bounced off of that and just tumbled out of the ring. Yeah, that was really well done. And she took that bump really, really well. I like that Sheeta is starting to add more of a focus on a body part type mm-hmm. move set to her repertoire. She's got a number of moves that target the lower back of her opponents. And I'd like to see her incorporate a real submission finish into her repertoire just to make things a little bit more interesting. Um but this was a really good match, and I agree; those two spots were were really impressive. And she she does another um, backbreaker, it's like that kind of comes out of a yeah. suplex setup, mm-hmm. um, and and that looked really good too. So uh, it's it's nice to see the move set seem to be expanding for Sheeta. You know, she's mm-hmm. been champion a long time, and we're still seeing new stuff, which tells me that she's adding things. So. Uh, yeah, that's really great. Every every title match of hers has felt fresh. I like I don't yeah. feel like spots or storytelling ha- have been repeated. Um which I think is just out <laughs> insane when she's held the title over a year now, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And Joel the post match here, Dr. Britt Baker come out, came out and revealed the new graphic with her in the number one position. So looks like the good doctor is going to be getting that title shot soon, maybe at double or nothing. Joel, you know, I want to say it. I'm excited to see where it goes and her new shirt (laughs) kicks ass. Like awesome shirt. Yeah. I, um, I think, uh, it's pretty clear that her whole new thing of coming out and basically pointing at the scoreboard is uh is very jordan (laughs) yeah i I like it i like it so uh this is a match that we've kind of been expecting i I think brit might be the top candidate in the company to take the title off of Mm -hmm. sheeta so it's been at this point over a year she won it in february of last year so we're at about 14 months at this point so that's a good long title reign and there are a lot of new faces in the division. And that means if someone else holds that title, then we get a whole bunch of new matchups coming down the pipeline. And we already know that Thunder Rosa has her eyes set on the AEW championship. She's got Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it's not even history at this point. She's got active heat with <laughs> Britt Baker. So if Baker picks up the title, then you've got a built-in story to go with uh, moving forward to get Rosa back on our televisions. So I think there's a lot to do and, and a lot of uh, excitement to come. Isn't it amazing, though, that like we're not clamoring for a title change like we've had with other champions? Like Jericho, we were about ready for him to lose the belt when he did. Same thing with John Moxley, even like Omega Page as tag team champions. Like, okay, it it should be time for them to drop this. So, the fact that we're 14 months into Sheeta's title reign and we're not actively saying she needs to drop it, she needs to drop it. I think just shows how successful this this title reign has been. Yeah, agreed. God, there's so many matches to talk about. Do you want to talk about the TNT Championship match, or do you want to talk about Penta and Trent? We're, let's uh, let's jump into the, the main event here. I can't believe it's taken us this long to get to it. Uh, two of my favorite people to watch in all of professional wrestling, Darby Allen and Jungle Boy in the same ring, one-on-one title on the line. And uh, they got me. They got me again. I don't know how this keeps happening, <laughs> but I, I really thought that for, for a moment in this match that jungle boy was going to get the win and you know we saw darby have to resort to desperate tactics with gouging the eyes in order to break the uh submission hold and escape and uh then you know take advantage of the situation and win with that awesome specialty pin that he does yeah. the last supper it's i love really it good. he can get into it in a variety of ways and it's quick so uh, he doesn't I use love it all the, the time. finish of this match. Like that is the most protected pin in wrestling history. Cause he only, only whips it out every once in a while. It's kind of his desperate. I need to get the win here. Um, yeah, really fun match here. I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of jungle boy getting this close to winning a championship. God, how many times has it happened where he's been put in this highlight type of match? Or with the tag team, like, I want him to have some gold, man. I know he's young. He still has a long time to get that. But, man, we have been teased for this, a Jungle Boy championship win. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's kind of a beautiful thing, though, because there's an embarrassment of riches in this company right now to where they don't have to put a title on someone like Jungle Boy. And they can build up this story over a long period of time that, you know, he's always right there, always on the cusp of winning it. And he can never get it done. And we haven't seen them actually do that storyline, right? Where he has a sustained feud with somebody over a title and they call him out on, hey, I'm not really worried about you because you never get it done when it counts. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. When they decide to do that, it, it rings similar to the Cody Rhodes big show where Cody's like, you've never had a WrestleMania moment. Like, why should I be afraid of you at WrestleMania? Like that story was really, really good. So, um, yep, I'm sure we'll get it. And just once again, just wonderful stuff from both of them here. That tumble, they took over the barrier early on in the match. It looked like someone like was like, didn't get their legs hooked on the barrier or something. Cause I thought they were going to land straight on their fucking noggins, dude, like right on that concrete. That's supposed to be super hard. I think that went exactly as planned. And I think they're Did just it? that crazy. Oh, it just looked like pure chaos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so much of this match did though. 
and uh, it, it was just I, I'm amazed every time Darby Allen goes into one of these matches and he comes out and he's not hurt. And like JR was talking about on commentary, he'll just look at you like, what, why would you even think that I would be hurt? Like I'm <laughs> fine. Yeah, no, he, he's, he's incredible. Um, I, I don't get the, the Lance Archer stuff yet. Maybe that will make more sense, but I really did enjoy Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky coming out and doing a little beatdown. Get these guys on my TV all the time, dude. Like, if you're going to put them in a tag team, have them go after big, important people. And if this leads to a Darby Allen, Lance Archer versus Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky match, we know that match is going to fuck. Like, that match is going to be incredible. So get those guys on my TV and I'll be a happy camper. Yeah, agreed. Oh. Also, I love fucking Sting in the Luchasaurus brawling. I yeah. need that match now. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, Who's older? <laughs> I mean, 65 million is is pretty daggum old. But how old is Sting? Also, it's incredible that Sting has the Twitter Twitter handle of just Sting. Yeah. Like that it is it is surprising. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the other sting would be like, I feel like I'm more popular than you, but Hey, good, but good, good you know, for our sting. I, I, when I think about the, their careers, it makes more sense to me that the pro wrestler got in on Twitter quicker than the aging pop star. 70 year old rocker. Yeah, probably makes sense. Would okay. we call sting a rocker? I'm looking at his Wikipedia right now. It says he has included elements of rock, jazz, reggae, classical, new age, and world beat in his music. So I would not consider Sting a rocker. Um, I would consider the police a rock band, but I would not consider Sting a rocker. But that's so another like, conversation. It's a square a rectangle, time. but a rectangle is not a square. It's kind of like that. <laughs> elephants are wow. gray, but not all gray things are elephants. Hmm. Legit though, his his collaboration with Shaggy was quite awesome. <laughs> All right, we're uh, officially like off we the should, rails. <laughs> yeah, let's let's move on. Uh, Joel, we basically had a your mama joke, and a your mama is the f- reason for a feud. So let's talk about uh, Pentagon and Trent. But mainly, I am really liking, and I'm gonna butcher his name. Was it Alex Abraham? Ab- yes. I'm really enjoying him as Pentagon's mouthpiece. I And I really enjoyed him just going on the mic and just like talking shit in the middle of this the match. The fact that Penta says has become a catchphrase <laughs> and it's on a t-shirt and it's taken someone from being one of the commentators for the Spanish language broadcast to actually being actively a character on Dynamite. Mm-hmm is impressive. It I mean, really that would have is. been like if Hugo Savinovich was suddenly involved <laughs> in, you know, Monday Night Raw in 2006, you know? That would be something. <laughs> no, I, I, it was, it's really good. It's working. I like the pairing. I think it's a really good, um, really smart way to get Pentagon over even more. I do think he should stick to wearing a suit though. Uh, yeah, maybe for the best. 
Um, but I did the enjoy- match itself. I thought was really fun. Um, and Trent is just looking great coming off of his injury timeout. And I somehow always forget just how damn good of a wrestler Trent is. And then he goes out and everything he does looks great and it's quick and it's, it looks effortless. That's the thing about a wrestler like Trent is that it does not look like he's trying hard. It's like a a Randy Orton kind of a thing. And Mm -hmm. he's just that good. And of course, Penta is one of the best wrestlers in the world. So naturally this unassuming match that went on second on a stacked episode of dynamite was, you know, fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was really good. It's good. Just having Trent back. I'm glad the best friends are whole and man, what a stacked little faction. Like you have orange Cassidy, you have Trent, you have uh, Chucky and now Chris Statlander, like name a faction that, like can tout that great of like in ring talent. It's pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, it's all killer. No filler. Yeah, man. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. You know, this was a very match heavy night. I, I, I was a big fan of the Miro video. If, if not, if, if only for the phrase face painted emo daddy, <laughs> that, that just broke me. I, 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 I did one of those last where you roll over to your side and I know it's not that funny, but with, um, with, uh, Miro's accent, it just came out so fucking funny. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, what was he calling orange Cassidy walking Xanax? Something like that. (laughs) Um, but for, you know, for serious stuff, him as a challenger to either Darby Allen or Kenny Omega is really exciting. Um, you know, I, I do like with AEW structure of the rankings that you need to put wins together. So if that means we're just going to get some Miro matches here in the next few months to get his win total up, that should put him in a spot to face one of those guys here in the not too distant future. And I'm really liking him calling out Kip. Where are you, Kip? Mm-hmm. Um, seems like that's where this is going next. And Joel, nothing's better than a tag team breaking up. It's fun. It's it going to be good. Uh, so next week we have Penelope Ford with Kip Sabian taking on Chris Statlander. So I expect that Miro is probably going to show up because Kip Sabian will be making his first appearance uh, since Miro started kind of calling him out and, and saying, screw all of you, I'm doing my own thing. So uh, this should be interesting. And I think the two of them would actually have a really good match. Oh, man. Uh, so yeah. I, I think this will be kind of an interesting thing to see how they interact, assuming that Miro shows up. And I'm also just really looking forward to Penelope Ford, who's one of my favorite wrestlers on the women's roster, mm-hmm. facing off against the new and improved Chris Statlander, uh, even if she's only improved by association with the best friends. So um, this is going to be fantastic. Yeah. And props to the new best friends t-shirt that is, all of them on a bike with Chris Statlander in the basket, like ET fucking (laughs) phenomenal. I've really resisted the urge to buy new t-shirts in the last few months because I have too many. I might have to break my rule and get this best friend's shirt because it's amazing. (laughs) 
So Joel, That's if you want to go on, if you want to go in on an order, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you want an inner circle squad sticker? Put it on your car. No, I'm good. I'm good. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not a put stickers on my car kind of person. Uh, it doesn't matter about the sticker. Mm. I love stickers. <laughs> <laughs> I have so a... someone else who strikes me as not a sticker on the car kind of person is John Moxley. Oh, uh, but yes. I'll tell you what he does have is a really big bumper on his really big truck that he crashed into the elite's new trailer. Uh, and uh, somehow the elite who were inside cutting a promo were no longer inside after dumb. the truck crashed into it. I was a little bit confused by this. Like it seemed like a pretty simple thing to show them like staggering out of the trailer and running away towards the building or something. Um, So I I didn't really understand this at all. Um, Either that or Moxley couldn't figure out how to get from one room in a trailer to another. Um, Like you very easily could have showed that like Moxley going up to a different door in the trailer and them like holding it, not to let him in or like it's locked and you just hear moaning in the background. It was awesome until they were like, where are they? That it went from a like what would have been a stock up to me to be a meh. Um, because what's more wrestling than big cars being crashed into other big cars? That's like an attitude era staple. So yeah, I don't know. It was it was really dumb. You really like it would have been so easy to just like have them running away. And Moxley and Kingston going like, yeah, you better run like easy, easy. Although I will say (laughs) this segment got us the line of the night, in my opinion. Oh, which one? Which one? (laughs) After John Moxley (laughs) threw the pipe at the window (laughs) and Eddie Kingston just looked at him and said, could could you not wait until I'm out of the way? I don't know. I thought you were going to talk about how Mox is like, dude, you got to stop stealing people's shoes. That was pretty good, <laughs> too. Because <laughs> Kingston was going to go steal their sneakers. <laughs> so. But the, the Eddie Kingston line about Mox like throwing the pipe felt <laughs> improvised. Like he legitimately almost walked into the pipe being thrown because he didn't realize that Moxley was about to do that. And that mm-hmm. was just his genuine reaction in the moment. And you know, if it wasn't improvised and he's just that good of an actor, then then okay. But I loved that moment. I I about died yeah. laughing. I mean, just give me more Moxley and Kingston riffing because it seems like Kingston's a good influence on Moxley to get some of the goofy shit out of his promos. Um, but yeah, I this if this I, I the numbers here between the elite and. Kingston and Moxley, it's still so outrageously overwhelming. Like, yeah, it's seven to two. Yeah. Seven like, and a half if you count Don Callis. Yeah. <laughs> Broke my brain there with some math for a second. Um, so <laughs> well, I, don't I, forget I, Brandon Cutler and Michael Nakazawa. Nah. They're yeah. there. They're, They're there. there. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so I just, I need to. I need to know who's going to be on their side because I just I don't think I can take the the story seriously if I just know the big match is going to be seven on two or two on two with five at ringside. Like 
there has to be some sort of equalizer here. And I thought that would be Pac and Phoenix, but they were nowhere to be seen tonight. So um, definitely kind of keeping me wondering here with uh, this elite story. Indeed. What Joel, else you got? I had, I had one question for you. I, I mean, do you want to talk about Cutler and not, not Cutler, QT Marshall and Dustin? Cause I think that's like the only thing we haven't talked about. Uh, yeah, so QT got a win over Billy Gunn, and then after the match was confronted by Dustin, who brought a uh, a bull rope to the ring. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of signaling, I think, where this is going to be going. All and, for it if it's a bull rope match. Those matches are awesome. Yeah, those matches can be really fun if they're done well. And I have no doubt that between QT and Dustin that they would put together a very compelling match. But I don't think there's much to talk about there yet. Uh, we're just kind of in the tease phase of of that match. I do think Nick Camarado just nose selling a wooden chair to the dome was pretty sweet. Yeah, that seems very fitting for him. Uh, I, I like that. All right, Joel, I have a question for you. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter this week, but a few days ago, someone asked Cody on Twitter uh, or kind of insinuated Cody is going to turn heel. And Cody responded, literally almost no chance, my friend. After a decade of honing my skills at this, in the last three or four years of such a strong and growing connection with the, my fans, I'd be a fool to throw it away and swim upstream. And it kind of got the internet community talking about where Cody ever turned heel in AEW. And Joel, that's my question for you tonight. Ah, ever, ever, forever is a long time. Uh, Just like Cody that neck has- tattoo of his. Yeah, Cody has kind of put a artificial cap on his career. He's talked about, I think he said five more years of of being a full-time pro wrestler. And I think given that he's such a pillar of this company, I think five more years of him being the babyface hero of the people could work. I don't think it necessarily has to get stale. And I think the reason for that is because it's real. Mm-hmm. It's not a put on. It's not something that the company decided. It's genuinely and authentically who Cody Rhodes is as a professional wrestler. And to his point, what he has built. So I, I don't think he necessarily has to. I don't agree, and I wouldn't go so far as to say he'd be a fool to throw all of that away and swim upstream. That feels very kayfabe to me mm-hmm. um, because the fans are going to be with him regardless. Like, he'd have to do something truly despicable to get booed. And if he was booed, it would be a respectful boo, right? It's the, we're booing you because we're supposed to, because we're playing our part, because that's how much we respect you. I mean, when he was in Ring of Honor he was acting as a heel. Like he was being obnoxious and elitist and doing things like drinking champagne and eating grapes in the ring to try to be an annoying rich asshole. And he still (laughs) got cheered. And I mean, we were at the match where he took the title off of Christopher Daniels and like he was getting cheered and Christopher Daniels, who everybody has loved for like a really long time was getting savagely booed to the point where uh, the addiction or SCU came out 
and like cut a promo to the audience about how much they were booing Christopher Daniels that didn't air on TV. It was just for the live audience. And, and that's how much people love Cody Rhodes. So I don't think he needs to, but I think he can and he won't lose anything. Yeah, exactly. I When AEW formed, you know, we were all excited about Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Pentagon, you know, all Jericho. But man, like the real face of AEW is Cody Rhodes. And I think it goes beyond just what he does in the ring. I think it goes into what we've heard from him in interviews, what we've heard from him um, since he's kind of taken on this role as a a vice president of this company. And um, I think he's just I think he is truly authentic when he when he talks about the business, when he talks about the things he cares about, when he talks about growing this company. So I think that's really, really hard for fans to boo because I think we all see it with his work and everything. Um, you know, and you're right that match with Christopher Daniels, Joel, we saw one of the rare, like double turns. (laughs) Like, yeah, they don't happen. I don't think it was planned. I don't think it was uh, Oh, we're going to have a double turn in this match. It was like, no, the crowd turned Christopher Daniels Mm -hmm. heel that night. And then when we went to that six hour taping the next day where we saw two months of Ring of Honor, I really think they had to change everything that the night before that taping because of the turn. I I think they literally had to rewrite two months of television because of the fan reaction. And you don't get that by (laughs) if fans don't love you. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't I don't think it's realistic for him to never be a heel again just because. Very rarely do we not see a wrestler go healed. John Cena probably went, what, 95% of his career as a face? Like, we won't see that often, but if anyone can do it in AEW, it's it's definitely Cody Rhodes. Agreed. So, yeah. Well, Joe, I thought you would like that question, and, and without with you gave a great answer like I expected, so. Oh, I do enjoy being asked questions. Yep. No, I side note. We should probably do that every week. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Especially, especially on, especially on shows like this where there's, it was mainly just in-ring work, but, um, yeah, Joel, anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? I, uh, blood and guts is coming up. We're going to get the rules of that, even though we kind of what already is. Um, Another stack card next week. A lot of uh, these kind of matches and these stories that we've been talking about are, are, you know, Hangman versus more members of Team Taz. Bet we'll see Christian Cage involved in some of that as well. So anything else before we go the hell to sleep? It's 11 o'clock. No, I'm good. I'm good. I think uh, I think we gave the people what they want. All right, guys. Well, you can follow us on Twitter at OWS underscore pod, Facebook and Instagram at The Other Wrestling Show. You can email us at theotherwrestlingshow at gmail.com. You can follow Joel at the other Joel. You can follow me at Michael underscore Aranda. I got those in such the wrong order. Joel, anything else to say before we go to sleep? Join the dark order. And I can't wait to see this parlay next week. Goodbye, everybody. Remember, everybody, life's a work. Duck the clothesline. And happy wrestling.